Welcome to the Financial Advisors Edge Podcast, a show created by financial advisors for financial advisors. Are you ready for some straight talk about building and growing a financial services practice? Four advisors in different states at different firms that have each built $100 million plus practices from scratch the right way through hard work, doing the right thing, and having fun while doing it. It's time for you to get the edge. Here are your hosts, Brad Warhurt, Jeff Copeland, Jim Martin, and Greg Gonzalez. And welcome to another episode of the Financial Advisors Edge podcast. My name is Jim Martin. I'm your co-host. With me today are Greg and Brad. Jeff is out on his boat today and unable to join us, but I know he's with us in spirit. We are talking about all things financial advising. Before we get going, if you could do us a huge favor, uh, look, if you, if you like this podcast, if you think it adds value to your life, leave us a five-star review on Apple, Spotify, or however you get this content. Make sure you share it with a friend and you tell other people about us. We're, we're, we're having a lot of fun doing this. It's, uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. We want to share it with more people. So we appreciate everybody's help who listens. With that said, we are talking about a topic today that we were we were really having a lot of fun talking about this pre-gaming it. And we're talking about the things we wish we knew when we started, when we were young in the business. And oh my gosh, if you've been in the financial services industry five plus years, you've got a list as long as your arm of things you wish you could have done over or had known. And Greg has some great stories. So Greg, I'm going to throw it right over to you. We, we talked about advice and some things around that. I want. What do you wish you would have known early on in your career about who to listen to? Yeah, it's you know you listen to the veteran advisors and 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 I was always begging some of the the veteran advisors. Hey, do you have twenty minutes where I can you know pick your brain on how I can build this beast you know brick by brick? And they would always always say, uh, well, I'm getting all my business through referrals. And it's like, okay, well that's not helpful to me. I've got five clients at this point, so referrals is out of the question, right? If I've got five clients. If I'm lucky, I get, you know, maybe two referrals a year, right? So the other thing is you've got to kind of ask yourself, okay, how am I going to market? How am I going to prospect? Uh, but but what I did, what I wish I would have known in the beginning is f- to figure out what I was most comfortable with. And what I was doing is the things that I dreaded doing because some advisors told me, oh, join a BNI uh, networking group, go to the uh, Chamber of Commerce, join every Chamber of Commerce, you know, join these country clubs. You want to get net- networking. Well, that may have worked for them. But but as far as my personality is concerned, I hated it seven o'clock on a, you know, what Tuesday night going to these networking events when I would have had a lot more fun doing other things than going to a chamber of commerce with, you know, four insurance people and seventeen financial advisors. You know, you forgot the you forgot the Mary Kay lady that's there. Yes. Oh boy, the Mary Kay lady and. Um, what about the Tupperware? What's it called? Uh, they sell the Tupperware um, s- salesmen um, and like all the home, the kitchen appliances. Uh, I forget what that woman sells, but uh, but anyway, I met many of those as well. Yeah. So huge waste of time. I wish I would have known. Okay, what do I enjoy? Well, I enjoy public speaking. Well, I got to figure out how to do more seminars. It, it, what I what I was doing was I was doing a little of this, a little of that, a little of this, a little of that, because I was listening to all these different people's opinions and it got me kind of nowhere. I had like I had no focus. If I just would have focused my energy 
towards what I was good at and what I really was passionate about, man, I, I would have, I would be a lot higher than I am today. Yeah, that, that's powerful. I, there, there are so many advisors out there who, who are, you know, they, I guess it's the shiny object syndrome where they just chase thread after thread. And I, I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I really found out who was doing more, but still growing and just followed in their footsteps. It took me a while to figure that out, but that that was the key. Brad, you, you've got, you've got. If Jeff has a and Greg has a list, uh, an arm's length, you've probably got. Two arms length because you 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 do like to rant on some of these things and uh this is your chance today. When I thought about this topic, I thought Brad is this is going to be his wheelhouse. So when you when you look back, what is it? Well, I'm not sure. I might have too many for one episode, but I will say something, Greg. It, it sounds like you you got something right though before you honed in on what you like. Which kind of ties into one of the ones I, I wish that I knew is it does sound like you were just you were talking to people, mm-hmm. right? You you maybe you were all over the place and doing it. You didn't like it and you didn't really find the best channels for you, but you were talking to people constantly. It sounds like, but Correct? the wrong people, the <laughs> absolute wrong people, and my eyes were not big enough to. Oh, and the other thing, I'm gonna I'm gonna butt in. Oh, uh, you need centers of influence. <laughs> centers of influence. This was the advice that all these people gave me. Find every CPA, get a buddy-buddy relationship with CPAs and estate attorneys, and you'll have more business than you know what to do with. Centers is, of influence. Right? Buy them soup. Take them to lunch. Buy all these CPAs soup. And I did. I did all that. I did. And I can count on one hand how many referrals I have had mm-hmm. from CPAs over the years. And I have given dozens and dozens and dozens of referrals out. Unicorns. Yeah. They, 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 they might exist somewhere, but they don't exist here. Yep. They didn't get, they didn't get on the arc for sure. They didn't get on the arc. <laughs> but you were still talking to people. And I, I mean, I, I noticed that as, as you were speaking and that's, I mean, that's like the foundation of that's step one of success in this business, right? At least always be talking to people and, and the success will come, but then Obviously, you honed it into to things that you enjoy doing it so that you you ended up talking to people that you have something in common with or identify with. So that's great. Uh, I guess I can't steal that one. So I'm going to definitely go with stop changing savers into investors. <laughs> well, the, the industry loves to do that, don't they? Yes. Yes, absolutely. It almost feel like it depends on what firm you're with and what the culture of the firm is, you know. If you, I don't know, maybe if you're with New York Life or something like that, maybe you wouldn't, you wouldn't run into that as much because you're trying to convert investors into, a, uh, you know, insurance clients or something. But no, for sure, I, I wish I did not try to convince people that are are not meant to invest to invest. Um, and I did that very much very early in my career. I would, you know, everybody had to do it the way the book would say to do it. And if we couldn't come to an agreement on that, then we weren't going to do business together. But not universally, but more often than not, that would come back to bite me. You know, you have, you know, I would spend hours and hours with people trying to educate them on diversification and asset allocation and, you know, the whole nine yards and still things that I certainly help educate people about. But I'm sure that you guys can tell also when someone is just not going to get it, right? Right. First time they have a negative quarter and certainly one that's even approaching double digits, or even if they have a lot of money, right? Even if it's, you know, if it's a, a million dollar account, even a couple percentage points down, they're going to be the ones that are like, I lost 40 grand this month. 
or quarter or whatever it is. And it's just, it doesn't turn out well. And I wish I could go back, still do the education, still, you know, try and lead them to the correct path. But when you know somebody's not going to be able to stick with it, just get them into something conservative, do the best you can with their risk tolerance and time horizon and, and just, you know, work that into their plan. Yep. Right. That's okay. I want to mention one thing where I made that same mistake was I was listening to Nick Murray starting out and Nick Murray would say, you're going to be so much better with a diversified equity portfolio. And he would preach that and preach that and preach that. And you've read it. I've read it. And trying to explain that to these clients, these savers was a huge mistake. I I should have not gone down that road. But Brad, you said something. Uh, The saver says to you, oh, I lost $40,000 this month. I lost. Oh, you mean you sold? It's gone? No, they (laughs) they mistake permanent loss with temporary volatility. And that's a saver. They're not, they don't have a long-term commitment. They they just, they look at month by month, you know, Um, man. those, Those are tough ones. Yeah. And you know what? I think I, I think I've talked about this before, but you know, my risk tolerance gauge is I'll take that and I'll say, okay, so you know, after we go through all the education and and it's time to kind of make a decision on asset allocation, I'll I'll ask them, I'll take their million dollars and say, okay, you know, we're gonna hit rough markets at times. You know, what's our conversation if some quarter we're down seventy-five thousand dollars, which you know, no big deal. But if they if they give me, if I sense fear in that response. I mean, if you can't even if you can't even stomach a ten percent decline, you're probably not meant to be an investor, at least at this stage. And I mean, I'll try my best to convince, not to convince them, but to to get them to to kind of get it. But if they're if they can't answer that question with at very least, I would hold or buy more. Then I'm gonna I would I'm gonna go with a conservative approach, and you can still work that into their plan and be honest with them about it and say, hey, you know, we cannot uh, investing is not going to work for us here. Right, because when the market goes down, you're going to want to sell, and that's going to be counterproductive. So, here's the here's the different ways we could go about accomplishing your goals that don't involve a lot of volatility. And but what that means for our plan is, you know, our expected rate of return is not going to be able to be, you know, a higher number. It's going to be have have to be a lower number. And they can still make that work, but it is what it is. I would I would go back and do that over again for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And the whole industry is set up to convert savers into investors because we all know that's where that's where these Wall Street firms make the money. And yep. one of the things, if I had a do-over, I, when I first started, you know, I, I knew about the markets, but I don't know that I knew a lot about the markets. And I was always looking for that better mousetrap, that 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 tactical model. I just, you know, I started in 2009. I wanted to have some back testing model that never lost anything. So I was on the hunt for like five years. I would talk to every, I would talk to every wholesaler. I, I, they, they'd show me their magical back tested BS portfolio. And, and if I had a do over, I'd learn that Wall Street is the biggest bunch of idiots on the planet. That their their mechanism is just to sell me and you crap so we can give it to our clients. And realistically, to find that investment approach, you know, just just an, an index based, low cost investment approach, so we don't have to apologize later on, is the best way. But boy, oh boy, I, I chased my tail for years talking to idiot wholesalers who would promise everything. And then you know, you look at their performance after two thousand eight, and you say, well, why are you lagging the market by double digits? Like, what's happened? What's well, because their tactical model is garbage, and you know. Right. 
every tactical model, not every one of them, I'm sure, I don't want to get sued here. I'm sure there's one or two out there that have done well, but almost every tactical model has just gotten crushed during this recent downturn because they're all predicated on looking in reverse. And I can pick every Super Bowl winner from the past. I just have no idea who's going to win it this year. But boy, the market, the market tricks us into believing uh, that, that crap's going to happen. And it, I, I would just be, if you're a new advisor, be really cautious uh, chasing like this idea that there is a better mousetrap, that you're the only one that's going to discover it. Like not everybody else has figured it out. You're the one that's going to find it because it just doesn't exist. And just, just go find Dimensional or Vanguard or somebody that has an investment philosophy that makes sense, that has some academia behind it and follow that. And you're going to be going to do a much better job, at least in my opinion, for your clients. Oh, boy. I, I second that. The tactical uh, management and also alternative investments. I wish I would never heard those two words. Um, yeah. <laughs> boy, I'll tell you yeah. some horror stories over the years with with prospective clients and uh, so terrible. Does that mean your managed futures allocation is out of the portfolio? <laughs> Talk about back tested. Oh, those managed <laughs> futures. Oh, those wholesalers went wild like two thousand nine, two thousand ten. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think some other things I wish I knew earlier. I wish I, um, I wish I, to Greg's point earlier, I wish I'd figured out what I was really good at and did a lot of it. I did that, but what I should have spent more time on was practicing, um, practicing the business, if you will, like getting better at first appointments and getting better at second appointments and and really mastering a process because uh, there are so many times where I would sit down with a prospect and I would give away the farm. Um, I would sit down and I'd be so excited. I'd say, oh, they want to work with me so bad. And I would spend so much time doing the education, doing the financial planning, giving them the financial plan, a 48 page uh, money guide pro Monte Carlo plan. And that I spent five, 10 hours working on and they would take it and say, thanks, Jim. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know. We're going to go home and think about it, which is, which is absolutely code word for, we are never going to talk to you again. And um, (laughs) I wasted, I wasted, I don't know, years of my life doing that. So if you're a new advisor, stop that, figure out your process, follow that and get better at it. I don't know. Did you guys have a similar experience or am I just, uh, am I alone on an Island on this? Now, Jim, I don't know. I don't know how I figured this out relatively early on, but that's something that I've, I, 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 I did learn. Uh, I don't. I don't do work for prospects. I do work for clients. You know, if I'm going to take myself seriously as a professional and not as a as just a salesperson, you know, my plumber doesn't fix half of my sink and then ask me if I want to engage him to do the rest of the work. I, that's just not how any other professional works, and I and I'm just not going to do it. Um, and I've told people some flavor of that, like you know, this is how this is how I view the relationship, and I will absolutely do work for you, but it you know it's not free. But secondly, the other thing that I I like to point out on this topic to them is, you know, there's no point in me doing a, doing a, a big financial plan for you and then sending you away with it to evaluate whether you want to work with me or not, because you're not going to know what's in that plan. You don't know how to interpret that stuff anyway. Because once again, I know we talked about before, if you knew that, you wouldn't be in front of me. Yeah. You know, it's not that hard. You could grab a beer or a coffee and kick your feet up in front of the game and do your own financial plan and build your own portfolio. If you really knew how to do it, you wouldn't be here. So there's no point. And, and letting them know that's my logic behind my answer. I mean, 
Some people end up not liking that, but the majority of people appreciate it and it makes a light bulb go off and saves me a lot of time. Yeah, I, I love that plumber analogy. That makes that that's really good. Um, next time somebody is in front of me and they ask for that, I have a different one I use, but I I like that one more. So thanks for that. I'm gonna. Oh, I'm gonna sure. I just made that one up. I've used other ones too. I usually yeah. use a mechanic, but um, yeah. I, I, you know, but I but I like it. That's good stuff. How about yeah. you, Greg? Yeah, no, that's I I agree with both of you. I wish in the beginning. See, see I I think I had this as I was starting out and thinking, okay. My goal in the beginning was if I could have just thinking conceptually about this, if I had a hundred clients with a million dollars each, that means I have a hundred million AUM, right? Hundred hundred clients. So all I have to do is meet with a hundred. I got to find, and maybe it's Nick Murray. I think his was five hundred thousand dollars, and he said, "Oh, you got to need two hundred clients at, at five, a half a million dollars each." That gets it was you. Mullen. It was right? Mullen. Was it Mullen? Okay, yeah. so. Um, it, my thinking was, okay, I just got to find these people. Well, no, I need to find like five times that amount of people because every f- person with $500,000 doesn't necessarily want to hire me. And what I found was over the years is, I had, like I had a call this this morning with somebody that literally they left me a voicemail. Hey, Greg, uh, my, uh, my friend is a client of yours. I wanted to call and kind of uh, talk to you about my situation and see if you can help me. Okay, great. Called her up. I said, what are you looking for help with? And I, it, 10 years ago, I would have thought, great, this is going to be a slam dunk. She got referred to me from another person. She wants me to manage her assets, her portfolio. The call wasn't about that at all. She had her accounts at Edward Jones. She liked her Edward Jones guy, but he didn't do any planning. And she simply wanted to know, should I pay off my house? What should I do about social security and this kind of stuff? So she just had some simple questions. But anyway, it's but getting to the point where with prospects, how do you hope I can help you? Because a lot of these people, maybe maybe they're the do-it-yourselfer. They just want free advice. Maybe they don't want to hire us as their ongoing financial advisor. Maybe they're just looking for temporary advice. Should I pay off my house or not? So yeah. I had this, this preconceived you know, notion that I just need to find, you know, X amount of people and I'm going to be there and I can close the doors and say, hey, I'm going to stick with these people. You're going to have to meet with a lot of prospects, a lot of them. First appointments are what drive your success in this business. First appointments. So you've got to figure out, you can't put the sign out in front of your building and expect them to come in. I don't care if your name is Edward Jones, Merrill Lynch, UBS, or, or Greg's Financial Services. You put that sign out and nobody's coming in through the door. And it's just the way it is. You have to figure out how to generate first appointments. That is key. And, and Brad's done that through through hanging out in teachers' lounges and seminars and, and doing that. Greg's done that through seminars. I've done it through some. There, there's a million ways to do it. I mean, when I first started, I knocked on doors. I mean, that's just what it really came down to. But anybody who says that this is some that some job where you're out going to be a stock picker, which is what a lot of people think, like, oh, I'm going to get into this profession and I'm going to I'm going to choose the very best investment portfolio and I'm going to build this this amazing portfolio because. Oh, I'm I'm living in Podunk, Iowa, and I know so much more about the markets than some CFA-driven firm in New York that's spending a billion dollars on research. You're just kidding yourself. Like you're just full of it. But we see it all the time. I mean, we we all see when we talk to advisors who just they they think they've got they think they've got it figured out. They've figured out the secret recipe that Wall Street has not been able to figure out. 
and it's all BS. It's like you, you're just going to waste your time for years doing it. What are what are some other things out there that new people or you wish you would have known? What of of what people want? Like when it when it comes down to it, like you know, my typical new client comes in if they don't want mutual funds, they don't want ETFs, they don't want index funds, they don't want an annuity. They they want to know a couple things. When how can I optimize my social security? They're they're worried about that. They okay, maybe they have a pension. How do you claim that? Do you take the lump sum or not? But they want to make sure that they they can retire comfortably, and they want like an approval that. Hey, I give you my blessing. You can retire. You're going to be able to live on this amount of money. Oh, and by the way, if you want to work with me and you want you want all this advice, we get paid 1% on your portfolio. Are you okay? So it's kind of like an afterthought, you know, of, of how we get paid and what we do. But to come in and think that like these people are like, hey, I've got this rollover and can you manage this for me and charge me a percent? That's not what people want. And in I, I think in the beginning, I, I thought that that people were looking for my expertise, like of, oh, I know how to allocate this portfolio and I'm going to impress you with this. That's not what they want. Yeah. You know what? That took me, <clears throat> that took me a little bit longer to figure out because I used to, I used to stress on, on those types of things. And, you know, I'd want to say, you know, I, I'd want to show them how smart I thought I was until I finally <laughs> sunk in that they need to they need to know that I'm you know they need to believe that I'm capable of doing the job but they're going to pick who they like and trust yep and that changed uh, that changed a lot about my work life not only my success but my work life because all those other questions right they don't they're probably not going to know the math behind the social security question or the or the pension lump sum versus annuitization or anything or passive versus active or any of these things but they just want to know, they just want to know that they can trust you to understand it and tell them what the right thing to do is. Right. Yeah. That's that's what they want. And they want to like you also. Let's face it, in all sales, I mean, that's probably even more important than trust by some weird, <laughs> but if they like you, your odds go way, way, way up. Well, it is the, it, that's interesting. You say it is the truth, though. We've all sat down with a prospect and you've pulled up their portfolio and say, oh, my, your advisor's an idiot. And you don't say it like that. You show it in nice ways and say, I, you know, you're, you're overpaying for your mutual funds and they haven't touched it in years. But he's a really nice guy and I like him. And you, I don't care if you've got a crowbar and a uh, <laughs> stick of dynamite. I mean, that's hard to pry off sometimes. Yep. So those, those are those are really difficult. Brad, when you're um when you when you started the business, did you did you think this was a sales job or did you, yeah. or did you I'm, think it was something else? Oh my God, I'm glad you brought that up. I can't believe I didn't start. I had no idea. Listen, I was the most uninformed person to ever <laughs> enter and survive this industry. I mean, I I did my undergrad in finance. I got my MBA and then I was like, all right, now I'll take the series seven and people give me their money to, you know, save for retirement. And, you know, I'm like almost a year in and I'm like, what the hell is going on here? (laughs) (laughs) Where are all my clients? (laughs) Right. Like, I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm so smart. Why are people not throwing them? I even have a sign out front. I put the sign out front. What's wrong? Uh, yep. Yeah. My OSJ told me to write up, you know, the write your, you know, 
your intro letter to send to your friends and family. And, you know, they'll put a little blurb in the newspaper. I'm like, why do I not have a billion dollars yet? I did all this stuff. Yeah. Why am I not the next Goldman Sachs of Pennsylvania? Right. Yeah, absolutely. What, what's go- I'm still like, what's going on? <laughs> How about you, Greg? You feel did you did when you got in? Did you think it was sales? Did you think, man, I I I'm a and you guys are all smart. So you know, am I a smart guy that's going to come in and wow people? Where where were you at with that? I just kind of looking at the advisors that because I was in an office with of other advisors and I and I I saw people who are really really successful and then you thought man that guy's slick you know what I mean like that guy he's he's dressed to the nine he's you know with the suit and everything so and then the people who weren't successful it's well what's what's the difference between him and him well this guy's he's he's knee to knee with these people constantly and these other people like. They're like looking around, like where, where, where's all this business? And uh, I, I remember this one guy. Every every day, he would go and check his mailbox at, at noon, like at like dead noon, and like like expecting people to be like send him in a letter, like, "Hey, I'm looking for a financial advisor. Will you will you be my guy?" But every single day, that mailbox was like empty. Um, but uh, but yeah, I kind of knew. I mean, you kind of knew. And I was looking at the other firms, and it's like, okay, well, I'm starting independent. At least I don't have any sales quotas that you know I can lose my job this way, you know by not hitting my quotas, um, like with the wirehouses and things like that. But um, starting independent, I think Brad and I talked a long time ago. We would we we would have been fired a long time ago. <laughs> For sure. For sure. <laughs> Well, that, that's the joys of starting, you know, look, there's, there's a couple ways people start this business. There's the people that, you know, kind of get it handed to them. They start out in a place, whether it's their dad or their uncle or succession plan. But man, when you're a scratch starter, uh, you are crawling and fighting just to get going. And it might take you a year or three years. Nobody starts scratch start and grows to like a hundred million dollars in three years without like lightning striking getting it handed or not handed to them, but lightning striking or having a massive marketing budget from a previous place. It, it just, yeah, there's always a story behind how somebody does it. So the majority of people are just like us. They went out and they grinded, added three, five, six, seven, eight million dollars a year. And to the point now, you know, we're like, we think it's a failure if we don't add $20 million in a year. But if you went back to to year two through three of any of us and said $20 million a year, we would have thought you were just, it was an anomaly and you were a liar for sure. Right. You know, one thing I I think that, um, and you guys can comment on this, but um, one thing that really helped me, I I don't know that I wish I would have known this, but one thing that did help me is I joined a community of advisors early on. And um, I got to talk to a lot of different advisors about a lot of different things. They're very advisors are a very opinionated bunch. I've learned over my uh, my life, uh, but that really helped me uh, to understand and get through some of the noise of the industry. Because your broker dealer, your wirehouse, your FMO, or whoever are generally there to sell you, to keep you, to keep you, you know, in chains in their, your place, so they can make money off of you. And right. hearing from hearing from a community advisor was a really big deal. You guys were part of that, but did you, do you have the same feeling that advisors really need to seek out a community? For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's been said that, you know, advisors are all operating on an island. We've got our own books of business. We're trying to handle it, but we're trying to grow it. We've got our own goals, not the company's goals. We got our own goals. 
um, if you can find a network of advisors that like, like what we're trying to put together with the Century Club, man, if, if I would have found this 10 years ago from the get-go, game changer. Easily, game changer. Other, yeah, other uh, being able to network with other advisors, easily the number one reason for me being here today. Oh, me too. For sure. Yep. If I were just left to the firms, you know, and I mean, starting independent, there's not as many training materials, but even let's face it, the employee model firms, the training is yeah, not much. Without that, I, I would be, I don't know, probably writing loans at a local bank or something. I have no idea. I, I started Edward Jones. They, they taught you to knock on a door, and which which is actually um, an effective model of gaining new clients, but it's, it's not efficient. And uh, eventually you get to the point where you can't do it, but nobody trained me on sales process, on client communication, on client act, like none of this stuff. The only thing I learned was how to knock on a door and sell a bond over the phone. That was it. So, you know, getting part of a community is a really big deal. And I want to encourage uh, advisors who are listening. If anything we kind of went over today, uh, you thought to yourself, wow, I've made those mistakes before. Or, oh, that really resonates with me. Or you're not part of a community, find one. Find some advisors, create a mastermind, get part of a community. Uh, we're trying to put one of those together as well. You can go out to the thefaedge.com and, uh, and just put your information in. And when we form that community, we'll let you know about it. But more than anything, look, if you like the show, make sure you leave us a five-star review. Uh, share it with your friends. Our goal is to provide uh, unbiased information, unfiltered, that can help you take action on your practice to get better, to get stronger, and ultimately to gain the financial advisor's edge. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the show. Check us out at thefinancialadvisorsedge.com if you want to learn more about us. If you enjoyed the content, make sure to leave us a five-star review and tell your friends about us. The opinions that are expressed in the shows are that of each host only and don't necessarily reflect the opinion of the other hosts. Like the weather, our opinions can change. This podcast isn't intended to provide tax, legal, or investment advice. Always consult with a qualified professional. We cannot guarantee our opinions or forecasts are right. See you next week.